1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sixteen years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art. Only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people. At AARP Volunteer and Community Events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local.
0: hello and welcome to the music to my ears podcast brought to you by bbc music magazine the world's best-selling classical music monthly this week i'm speaking to the prolific author and indian classical singer amit chowdhury His latest book, Finding the Raga, an improvisation on Indian music, was published recently by Faber and is part memoir, part essay, centering around his enduring love for Indian classical music and the power of the voice. As well as writing numerous novels, essays and poetry collections, Amit is a professor of contemporary literature at the University of East Anglia. He spoke to me recently from his home in Calcutta, where he has been teaching remotely. Apologies in advance for a little extra background noise that might be audible in this week's episode. There were dogs, there were doorbells. It was a real glimpse into what life is like recording from home during a pandemic. So whereabouts are you in the world currently?
1: I'm at home in Calcutta uh, Mm -hmm. in India. And uh, yeah, I I was teaching uh, in in the UK at, at UEA until early December came back and taught the, f- the final couple of weeks online because all the teaching was online anyway. And uh, and I've been here since, I mean...
0: So how have you spent lockdown as a writer and a uh, music lover? How have how have music and writing fit into your experience of lockdown over the past year?
1: As a writer, I have uh, written about the lockdown. Um, I have, yeah, writ- written quite a few... Uh, Essays which are related to, to the kind of beginning of the lockdown and then what happens later. Uh, and um, I've been trying to sort of finish a novel that I'm writing. Um, I, 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 I corrected the proofs and all of that for, for the book that's coming out, Finding the Rag. I have a book of poetry coming out in May, so I was kind of putting that together as well. It's called Ramanujan, after the famous mathematician. As a musician, I've been performing, I'll be performing next Sunday uh, online. It's an online performance, but I've also done a kind of actual in-the-flesh performance. And and both of these are Indian classical performances, the one to come and the one that I did. And so I was singing along with my accompanist's tabla prayer. And the harmonium player and the tanpura, the drone, the drone players, and I hope to return to you know um, performances to do with my the other kind of music I do, which is kind of like experimental sort of mix, which I call not non-fusion, not fusion. I, I hope that will happen. I want to record. I have material that I meant to record, and that's one thing I couldn't do during the pandemic because we couldn't actually see each other and, you know, rehearse and things like that. That that got put on hold.
0: Mm. Tell me a bit about that style of music. You call it Not Fusion. How would you explain it to someone that hadn't heard it before?
1: It comes from my sort of background in different kinds of music. It comes from being an Indian who, uh, I think, being an Indian means means being... Uh, exposed to an, and and it means to internalize an amazing range of cultural references and 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 cultural traditions, you know, so that you don't really know what's what belongs to your part of the world and what doesn't. A lot of it just seems to belong, also in some sense, to to where you are, you know. So this music that I'm talking about, the experimental kind of. Uh, uh, departure that happened in, began in 2004, I began to work on it in 2004 and then the first performance was in 2005, it, it comes from me having sort of become a performer in Indian classical music for many years, though I'd grown up listening to um, Western pop and Western rock music you know so so until the age of 16, besides my mother's kind of renditions of Tagore songs and some I- I- Hindi film music, uh, which would filter through somebody else's balcony or, or radio or whatever, my main listening was, you know, Jimi Hendrix, The Who, Joni Mitchell, uh, and all of that. And so um, I began to learn the guitar when I was 13, I think. And I was composing songs uh, uh, by by the time I was 15, 16. But at the age of 16, I also became suddenly very interested in Indian classical music, and particularly vocal music, singing. So I gradually began to move away, very gradually, from my ambition of becoming what I've called a Canadian singer-songwriter. Um, and, and so, you know, um, once I made the complete break after I went to England in 1983, uh, I completely stopped listening to Western music. Um, you know, I never thought of it as West, Western music. I, I, I'm saying this because we'll be talking about contrasting traditions now. Um, so I completely stopped listening to rock and pop, you know. Uh, and And it seemed like rock, pop, and the kind of, folk rock and the, uh, the experimental stuff that Joni Mitchell was doing, uh, it seemed to have disappeared anyway and had been replaced by stuff that I wasn't that interested in, like Boney M. And, and then later, um, you know, Duran Duran and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I mean, I'm sure they're very good, but I, I wasn't interested in, in, in that. And, and so I, 1983, uh, I completely cut myself off from that music and I was just practicing. You know, I was in London, but I was practicing and uh, Indian classical music because it needed a lot of practice. And then 16 years later, when I went back to to India, came back to, to, to Calcutta, um, I actually began to listen to some of my old record collection again. And I was listening to Jimi Hendrix and, uh, you know, uh, I was listening to a posthumously released, record, uh, you know, collection of his blues uh, kind of guitar playing. and. Um, I, I noticed that the blues is kind of you know uh, identical to certain ragas, which are also certain pentatonic ragas, five note ragas. and and that the blues also has uh, bent notes, which uh, makes it similar in approach to the note uh, similar to Indian classical or Indian music. So I was listening to all of that, and then something must have kind of changed my mindset. And alerted me in a different way to my own memories, but but um, my own past. But you know, one morning I was singing Ragtori, and I I sang a phrase, and I thought I heard the riff to Layla, Derek and the Dominoes, in the in the phrase that I was singing. So I finished singing Tori, which was practicing in the morning, uh, singing rag, a morning rag called turi, and I and I said to my wife, you know, I just heard Layla in this particular. F- uh, phrase that the riff to Layla. Do you think that I could do something with this musically, in terms of a composition? And she said, Yeah, yeah, well, you know, go for it. And and and, and that's how it began. And two two weeks later, I was in a hotel lobby, and there was this instrument that was I could hear this instrument uh, in the lobby uh, called the Santur, a Kashmiri kind of uh, instrument, uh, and it was playing again a pentatonic rock called Bhupali, but at, at at one moment, it seemed to launch into Auld Lang Syne, you know. And again, that was because of Auld Lang Syne being, being based on this folk pentatonic, a major pentatonic, uh, which, which, which is what Bhupali is as well. So once these convergences began to occur, I began to play around with the idea of creating a musical idiom uh, with which to explore and improvise around them, to create a kind of compositional structure uh, in which the convergences could th- these notes and traditions could refresh one another and could be improvised with could be played around with so that that that's how it happened it it, it became a, a series of different kind, kinds of experiments where, where I was often playing around with found material so it wasn't just this kind of stuff but it basically became an experiment in dealing with with material that al- already existed in some form, whether that was the Rift to Laila or Rag Thori, or you know the train sounds made by a train in the Berlin Underground, you know uh, everything became musical, you know, and and a kind of starting point in exploring something musically. Yeah.
0: So when you first uh, transitioned from your love of Jimi Hendrix to a rediscovery of Indian classical music. Mm. What was it that drew you back into those sounds from your native India?
1: Well, Indian classical music, like European classical music, isn't something that... I mean, classical traditions are often sort of minority tastes and... and. Uh, um, although I came from a very musical family, it's not as if I grew up with Indian classical music. So it wasn't a rediscovery, it was a discovery. So, um, I mean, it's just, just as for most English people, I mean, Benjamin Britten or Mozart would be, you know, discoveries at a certain point of age, unless they grew up in a, a family of classical musicians Um, uh, And even that wouldn't be a guarantee. I mean, as a child, you might kind of not listen to that stuff at all. So so for me, it was very much a discovery. And the discovery happened. I began to hear snatches of song or performances. uh, And I must have been open enough, open-minded enough at the age of 16 to actually... Uh, notice the beauty of what i was lis- uh, what, what I was overhearing um, because you know classical music because because it 's difficult in any tradition you know there 's a prejudice against it, and you know it's it 's not like it 's not easy to listen to for a lay listener, so the lay listener might f- think well what what is this you know what well, what 's going on over here whether it 's opera or whether it 's khayal you know uh and and A, a, a moment needs to come in your life when you begin to suddenly open up as a person to things which are not so much your own as we think classical traditions are, but which are inherently strange and foreign, which is also what classical traditions are and And I let myself be touched by that strangeness and And that happened because i would I would see somebody being interviewed on television interview would be in a language like Marathi, which I didn't actually properly understand. The Indian languages that I spoke were my mother tongue, Bengali and Hindi. So I wouldn't understand what was going on, but then I would suddenly hear the singer sing something extraordinarily beautiful, but also difficult to do because I would then try to replicate it. Remember, I was a singer. I was singing with the guitar and all of that. So, and then also my mother's teacher, she was... Mm. A singer of Tagore songs, but also of devotional Hindi songs. And a new teacher began to come to the house to teach her Hindi devotional songs. His name was Pandit Govind Prasad Jaipurwale. And he died at the age of 44 in 1988. So I'm talking about 10 years earlier in 1978, when I was 16 years old. He, he began to, to, to teach my mother. And he was an amazing classical singer. Besides being a singer of devotional songs, and this uh, the, the the Urdu love song called the ghazal, he was a, an amazingly accomplished and gifted classical singer whose father was a great great singer Lakshman Prasad Jhabwala, but who was also the composer of these extremely complicated, complex compositions, you know, and those were the compositions that I began to learn from. Uh, Govind Prasad Jaipurwale because, again, this face-to-face kind of encounter with a man whom I could listen to in our house, doing these tiny modulations with the voice, singing the same phrase twice, but with subtle alterations, and creating beauty, I suddenly thought, this is amazing. I, I want to be able to do this. It speaks to me. And after that came the period of listening and and discovering, just as I said, 16 years later, I suddenly began to hear the riff to Laila, or own Lang Syne in in ragas. This is because an inner alertness then begins to make you pick up things and sounds and listen to them in a different way without you necessarily seeking to listen differently. But this is what would have happened to me in 1978, that I suddenly became attuned to, to listening to, to classical music, to discovering it, attuned to discovery, you know. And so I began to listen to these radio stations, all India radio, which i had never listened to before, in the spirit of discovery, which goes far deeper than any kind of scholarly re- research, because it's So deeply self interested in an artistic and creative sense. And then tuning into listening to channels on TV which were completely entirely devoted to Marathi uh, language fair and things that I had no interest in, you know, I mean, this Marathi language kind of stuff because I didn't understand the language. And then suddenly to find somebody singing something and to be struck by it, to be electrified by it. And all of that coming without any, any, any system in place, any star system in place telling me that, guys, you, you, know, you know, we are listening to this, you must listen to this. I mean, as would be the case with, uh, you know, to a certain extent listening to Jimi Hendrix, you know. So th- there wasn't any of that context. My friends were still listening to Jimi Hendrix or whoever came, you know, whoever they were interested in later. So this was a genuinely solitary discovery uh, coming without any kind of star endorsement. Not to say that they, some of these people or a lot of them weren't stars in their own worlds, but, but you know that, that's how it happened.
0: Mm. Are there any artists or specific pieces of music or moments that you recall hearing and falling in love with as your first introduction into that world of Indian classical music?
1: Yeah, I do. Kishori Amonkar, this great singer, this woman, uh, who is possibly the greatest singer of, classical singer of a generation. She died some years ago. Listening to her, on, uh, she, she is one of the people I mentioned watching and listening on this Marathi program on Sunday mornings that happened on Sunday mornings on, on television. Not quite understanding what she was saying. Of course, there are, there are similarities between Marathi and Hindi and Bengali trying to follow what she was saying. then suddenly she stops speaking and and she demonstrates something and sings. And being struck by the tone of her voice and how much she could achieve in those few minutes with what she was doing, with those notes. Two weeks later, so this happened fast, a singer called Bhim Sen Joshi on the same program. So I must have thought that, okay, this program is interesting. I better tune in on 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 Sunday morning and and listen to what's going on. So there was Bhimsen Joshi, and again, he sang some a little bit of a tumri, which is which is a romantic. It's called it's it's called a semi-classical form. It's a romantic form, which usually expresses or or narrates some something to do with the love that Radha has for Krishna, the God Krishna. So he sang a few lines. Uh, from a tumbi again, I was, I was very, very um, struck by, by just the beauty of of the modulations, and, and of course, the, the, the modulations were very fluid. So I knew that they weren't, you know, they weren't set in stone. That they were being created on the basis of the rag and the basis of the form. Uh, at, uh, at that moment that if he sang it another day it would be slightly different then there were the recordings of a a singer called Bhishadev Chatterjee who was very well known in Bengal at one time but isn't that well known outside it, a remarkable singer, classical singer so I was listening to his 78 RPM recordings so the he sings the kind of as many classical singers did. He he shows us the gamut of what's possible in 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 an exposition in three minutes. So what what a singer could take thirty to thirty minutes to one hour over. I mean they do over three minutes. So a singer called S. D. Burman, well known, better known later as a what's called a music director, a composer for Hindi films. But he began as a singer of Bengali songs, but Bengali songs which were deeply, um, Rag Pradhan was the name for that genre, or Raga dominant. So a lot of improvisation going on in those songs. So I think what I was interested in was tone of voice and beauty of, of invention, you know? Uh, that, that 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 particular kind of music made possible
0: and in your in your new book Finding the rag you mention um, your first interactions with Indian classical music but also for lack of a better term western classical music and you talk about when you first came across the Beethoven symphonies conducted by Karajan? can you tell me a little bit about how you came across that and how that has kind of uh, intersected with your listening and performance of Indian classical music
1: sure I was listening to that Around, around the time when I was discovering Indian classical music, North Indian classical, Hindustani classical music. My father had what would today be called a, maybe a box set, if that term applies to vinyl records, you know, but it was in a big box. you know. Uh, so, um, so he had this stored away. It's not that he listened to it. He must have bought it. Uh, out of a sense of duty or curiosity at some point. Not that he was closed minded but, you know, um, it it just wasn't part of of, of our our listening. But I'm glad he bought Von Karajan. I mean, of course, I mean, uh, he was a seminal and important conductor, but still, it could have been some other conductor. I'm glad it was him because I I grew very attached to those versions. And sometimes I found it difficult to feel attached to when I began to listen again. To, to other versions uh, of the symphonies that are conducted by others. Um, so when, when, when Beethoven, you know, the uh, Pastoral or other, other symphonies are, when I think of them, it's it's, it's, it's it's his versions that I think of. So I was listening to them. Um, I, was, I was leading this weird life. I mean, I was listening, doing music, trying to kind of write interestingly, become a world-famous poet at some point, uh, be a Canadian singer-songwriter, was no longer interacting with people, had stopped going to college, spending more more and more time by myself, except for my parents and my music teacher's family. So all my contemporaries that kind of were fading away from my life, I was leading a peculiar life. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I was planning gradually to, 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 to depart from what is basically a, a sociable form, performance, performing Western pop, going out, playing with the guitar, receding more, more and more from that into the solitariness of riyaz or practice, practicing Indian classical music. So I'd, I'd gone down that part but, but at the same time I was listening to Karajan and I, and I was listening to sorry Beethoven and, and I was listening to Beethoven I think when, listen, when I would listen to Beethoven I mean the, 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 I'd listen to some of the symphonies repeatedly uh, symphony six, number six was one of them uh, a pastoral and, and then I would listen to seven nine but seven I, seven was my favorite I thought this was an amazing work so i would I would keep listening to it uh, a pastoral was uh, lovely, but it was too pleasant and sweet for me to completely love it. you know um, but I noticed then that i was I was creating narratives in my head when I was listening, and maybe be- that's because of the way one had been instructed to listen, even if the instruction hadn't come to you in so many words, from books or from from an instructor. But the instruction had come to one from cinema, maybe. So cinema had seen to it that one associated uh, music, and even classical music in in the West, with with certain kinds of atmosphere and narratives. That, 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 That a sad moment would have a particular kind of music playing in the background happy moments would have a different kind of music. Terror would have yet another kind of music playing in the background. So that was, uh, that was instruction. You know, we'd been encouraged to listen and think of at least Western music. And because one was still in the world of Western music, to think of music in that way, happy or sad, and sometimes terrifying. And then if it is not immediately comprehensible, as might be the case with tonal music, sorry, atonal music, then, you know, uh, um, associated in the mind with either the destruction of something, the destruction of form, or or personality, or or trauma, or something, or or, or if it was movies, terror, definitely. Atonality would would lend itself to, to that kind of, mood. So I was listening to Beethoven and creating these narratives in my head and then I began to think as well because maybe by then I was I was also thinking about what Indian classical music was all about. I was thinking to maybe thinking to myself, why am I constructing these narratives? You know, what, what what's going on over here? Of course it's the most natural thing to do and people talk about music in, in this way. Beethoven is... You know, Beethoven exemplifies the struggle of the soul with something, you know, it's the way we've been taught to think through biography, through literary criticism, it's not just music. It's it's everything. You know, we, we think allegorically almost. So but but the exposure to Indian classical music and Indian art as well to a certain extent was making me qualify the allegorical kind of response and making me look at it from a slight distance. Maybe I wouldn't have had that distance at that point if I hadn't um, begun to listen to Indian classical music and through Indian classical music become also, begin to discover Indian lyrics, Indian poetry from a certain age, I also then through that began to look with more interest at indian miniatures indian art indian dance and see what all these things were up to you know so because all of that was happening i began to see things less in terms of man's kind of drama This drama of man's soul you know i began to see it less in terms of that that's how that happened yeah
0: it sounds like you you view narrative is intrinsically linked to both kind of European music in the Pastoral Symphony, for example, and also in the Indian rag in terms of, you talk about in the book about the exposition of a narrative and how that kind of reflects. Could you tell me a little bit more about how the arc of a narrative can be seen as similar to that of an Indian rag? Uh,
1: but it would be a very different kind of narrative. Yeah. Uh, it, it It wouldn't be a narrative about Necessarily clearly demarcated moods, where the clearly demarcated moods are denoted by a set of notes which we which we traditionally uh, associate with those moods, uh, such as um, you know, a fast, cheerful movement uh, in the major scale in uh, the pastoral kind of being. Associated with the spring, uh, uh, minus the minor scale, uh, a sort of being, sort of um, the way of representing a storm. You know, it's so. It's a very different kind of narrative. It shows that narrative development is possible without the sense of, uh, you know. uh, Developing in the way we think of development as um, the person was born, they grew up, they had their ups and downs, then they triumphed or they didn't triumph. These were the moments of triumph. These were the moments of defeat. These were the moments of happiness. These were the moments of of sadness. And then it all comes to an end. Uh, It's not that kind of narrative. That, that novelistic narrative is not the kind of narrative that I'm talking about. It's a narrative in which there's a modulation on themes leading to constant surprise. The development has to do with uh, the surprise of one thing being turned to another through through tiny modulations, which we ca- call improvisation, but which are intrinsic to the development of the rag. So so the fact that these notes can then be approached in the next moment in that way, uh, while maintaining uh, the requirements of the rag to, 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 not, to not depart from a particular sequence or arrangement or relationship of notes that that uh, is kind of intrinsic to that rag, while maintaining that, yet you, you look at that particular relationship as you progress from the lower octave to the upper octave in a multiplicity of ways, uh, each one of which is surprising and unexpected, um, it's that kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. So when it's that kind of narrative, then you don't say, well, this bit is more important than that bit. You don't say that you know the moment of struggle is deeper than the moment of happiness. Uh, the happiness bit is a filler which is leading to the crisis. You don't think of it in those terms. Each, each moment is a moment of surprise and a renovation of per- perception of what is happening to those notes. So um, so you have to find a different way of thinking about narrative when you're thinking of narrative in that way.
0: And On a purely practical basis for you as a writer, because you've written hugely prolific- prolifically, do you listen to music while you write or do those entities have to be very separate for you
1: I generally don't listen to music when I write because and I generally don't write when I play mu when I sing <laughs> you know I mean they they are they they are such acts of attention and absorption that that you you know that's not to say that I'm one of those people who kind of wants a complete vacuum around me in terms of sound that that i find inimical to 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 creativity uh i need i need sound around me uh both as a musician and as a writer uh which is why sometimes i find life in in europe in in, in, in a suburb in, in 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 england difficult you know because because of the silence um so i i need that uh i need that constant flow of life and which i which i identify with sound actually uh, and that life is unseen so uh, it's life is not only what's visible but what's what you can't see around you and, and what you can hear so i i identify with with i i not identify, i depend on that on that flow of life of invisible life being there around me and coming to me subtly through sound but music is such a powerful thing for me that it can can never be background especially especially indian classical music i think no listener if they have begun to sort of enter that world of indian classical music could ever treat it as background not even for cooking you know if <laughs> if you if you've entered it you will stop to listen to that modulation, you will stop to listen to the fact that she or she did something there, which they changed subtly over there. Uh, and what was that? Uh, so you will then stop, you know, chopping the onions or you know whatever it, was, it, it is you were doing with the spatula at that point of time. So so you know, um, yeah, I I I don't listen to music when when I'm writing.
0: No, So where does it fit into your your day and how do you decide? Because obviously you've mentioned the wide range of musical interests you have, Indian classical music being just one of them. How do they fit into your day and how do you choose which genre to pursue?
1: Indian classical music uh, is the training that I undertook, the kind of singing that I do is now and has been for the last 30 years fundamental to me uh, in terms of how I perform and improvise. So whether I'm performing uh, quasi-jazz, fusion, um, vocals um, with, with, through the rag, or whether I'm actually singing Indian classical, uh, North Indian classical music, I have to keep practicing. But I can't do those improvisations without practicing. So my my week, my day, my life is organized around sessions of practice. Uh, So I I practice through the week, sometimes even four hours a day. That will happen twice a week, sometimes two hours, sometimes one and a half hours. Uh, And there will be days when I don't practice to rest my voice. And those days are like, you know, amazing opportunities to (laughs) to just relax. But then I have to catch up with other things uh, during those days. But uh, the days when I practice for four hours, I can't do anything else. Uh, The other days I kind of um, work on the music practice, but also write. Um, And... um, In the evenings, I I don't do anything. I try not to do anything. <laughs> Wise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. So um, you mentioned practice there, and you kind of draw on it quite a lot in your book about your experience of practice. How how does practice and the discipline of music play? It seems to play quite an integral role in Indian classical music. You you impress upon that quite. Quite heavily throughout, but why? Why is it such a such a form that requires such practice?
1: I think any classical music uh, requires practice, right? I mean, European classical musicians. I mean, that's one of the things that they have to keep doing: practice, 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 because otherwise you can't do the things you want to do with uh, with facility. Um, but but yeah, it's yeah, it like sport. I mean, it's. It's, a, it's being in a state of preparedness. But also like sport, I mean, it's, it's physical. So as you, as you grow older, you know, maybe things slow down. Certainly they do. Parts of the voice may not, or, or, may not respond in the way that, that they did when you were 30 years old, you know. Um, so it might be a little bit this whole business of singing, improvising as a classical musician at the top of your powers it might be a bit like inspiration you know poets have their kind of uh, uh periods of inf- I- inspiration some of them for some of them the inspiration ends when they, they they're quite young so even this i mean to to prolong the set shelf life yeah you have to you have to keep practicing but even that cannot kind of delay the onset of age the effects of of aging,
0: yeah. and as a listener, uh, this podcast is a lot about the music that you listen to. Mm. Are there any pieces of music that you that you kind of can't live without, and that you return to time and time again for whatever reason they might they might be?
1: Um, as some of the people I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of in Indian classical music that I mentioned in the book. There's a one particular kind of section where I just mentioned all the people that I, you know, just just listen to and. Were, was, was kind of you know, changed by, transformed by um, and I still listen to them and I could not live without listening to them but but I've YouTube has also kind of made it possible to listen to stuff by them which I never had access to before which is remarkable, that's wonderful there's also Joni Mitchell you know Sweet Baby James by James Taylor Keith Jarrett's The Cologne Concert Some of Beethoven's piano sonatas, you know, uh, uh, um, it would be pity if I couldn't listen to them again. It's an eclectic kind of very various sort of field of music that I take sustenance from.
0: I have to ask you as well about Ravi Shankar, because I know I wrote your beautiful tribute that you wrote about him just after he died in 2012. Can you tell me a little bit about your experiences of working on his opera with him?
1: Well, when I started working, finally started working on his opera, he, he had died. Um, mm. So um, I would have worked with him because, you know, that was supposed to happen, working with him. But it didn't happen. So um, I worked with, uh, you know, the, 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 the group of people that, you know, uh, uh, dealing with his music, primarily somebody called David Murphy, was a conductor and composer, and who was um, intimate with Ravi Shankar's work and the work he was doing on the opera. But you know, artists like Ravi, uh, artists like Ravi Shankar, I, I I admire a lot because I mean, he, again, he's one of those people who keep kept kind of kept the level high right to the end. Did not take all the, whatever we might think about him, did not take his huge celebrity for granted did not let go of the essential discipline and demands of being a a musician, which it is easy to do once you become a a celebrated figure in the way he was. But he didn't do that. So he's admirable in, in, in many ways.
0: And before I let you go, thank you so much for your time. I just want to ask you one final thing, which is what, is your current musical obsession what are you thinking about or trying, trying to work on as a performer or what are you listening to anything like that
1: so excuse me i want to um I, will, I want to record some of my some new material that that's been sort of uh, gathering dust uh, um, for for this this experiment that, that I was discussing earlier um, I want to release some of those songs that I naively sang and composed as a, as a, as a young Canadian singer-songwriter in the, at the end of the 70s. That I'll do soon. I revisit a lot of old, older things that I listen to. I listen to my daughter, she's a wonderful singer, uh, Aruna.
0: That was Amit Chowdhury talking to me from his home in Calcutta. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think of the podcast by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're available in print and various digital formats across the world. Or you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Thank you to Acast for hosting and Brittany Colley for producing.